0: This is former New York Jets defensive lineman Mike DeVito, and you're listening to Play Like a Jet. From Joe Namath's Super Bowl Guarantee... I got news for you, buddy. We're going to win the game, I guarantee it. ...to Ryan Fitzpatrick's contract holdout. Ryan Fitzpatrick, he has not shown up at camp. Where are we with Fitz versus the Jets? And everything in between.
1: They froze. It appeared that Marino was going to try and stop the clock instead. He connected for the fourth time with Mark Ingram. And it is juggled and caught by Jumbo Elliott.
0: This is Play Like a Jet, your weekly look back at some of the best. New York Jets are the world champions. They have upset the Baltimore Colts and beat
1: them handily here today. And worse. Vince Woolfork is going to throw Brandon Moore back into his quarterback. He's going to fumble the football. Mark Sanchez not expecting it. And it was the backside of Brandon Moore to knock the ball
0: out moments in new york jets history so get ready to hop in your delorean and take a trip back in time
1: are you telling me you built a time machine Kind of a delorean
0: for an in-depth look at the most memorable games seasons players and events in the history of gang green it's time to play like a jet play like a jet what does that mean
2: with your hosts scott mason and big John and welcome to play like a jet your weekly look back at the biggest moments in new york jets history my name is scott mason you can follow me on twitter at play like a jet one and i am joined by my tag team partner six foot two 265 pounds and they didn't even ask him to work out at the combine because he's that big that bad and that strong it's true look it up mr big john spiropolis what's going on john
3: scotty uh doing quite well um like to say back home, it's officially a Jets' town after the draft. And Scotty, I am a little surprised I didn't get to work out at the combine when uh, apparently uh, some of the quarterbacks were asked to work out as a tight end.
2: Yeah, this is a crazy story. Daniel Jones, who the Giants picked at number six overall out of Duke, the quarterback. Apparently, according to Manish Mehta from the New York Daily News, he was asked by at least one team to work out as a tight end, which, if you remember, there were reports that there were some teams that had asked Lamar Jackson to work out as a wide receiver last year. So I find it amusing that the Giants thought so highly of this guy to pick him at number 6 overall, and there was a team that didn't even think he was capable of playing quarterback.
3: Yes, Scotty, that is quite strange. I mean... uh... For those of us in the know, I was quite the blocking tight end on my uh, 8th grade team. But what could have been, one day I could have been drafted by the Giants to play quarterback.
2: Or in the fourth round by the Jets if you'd just gone to West Virginia. You know the Jets love to draft tight ends out of West Virginia maybe at some point the Jets will bring you in to help Trayvon Wesco bring his blocking to the next level that could be a reason that you end up leaving me stranded like you always do during these interviews at some point
3: a great idea i'm gonna write that down for next week
2: but <laughs> well, john i will say i'm not super surprised about the giants picking daniel jones at number six even though he was asked by at least one team apparently to work out at tight end because last year they drafted the third best running back in the draft at number two overall right
3: yes scotty i think uh draft experts like yourself would say that was a little bit of a reach
2: (laughs) a little bit of a stretch armstrong level reach there but what the Giants do is not our concern What the Jets do is And that's why we are going to continue Looking back at the career of Wesley Walker who spent 13 years In gangrene. Last we left you We were in the 1985 season After a couple of the key players On that team including rookie Al Toon And Marvin Powell Had decided that they were going to hold out for better Contracts. Wesley talked us A little bit about what that holdout meant And now we're going to resume talking to Wesley As we get into the nineteen 1985- eighty. 85 season, which as we will see, turned out to be a pretty good season for the New York Jets, John.
3: Scotty, it sure did.
2: So, John, being that it was a positive season, I'm sure you're really excited, just like I am, to go talk to Wesley Walker. So, why don't we go and get into part seven of our series with the legendary number 85?
3: Uh, jeez, Scotty, I'd love to, but uh, Joe's got me on assignment again this week.
2: Your boss, Joe, or Joe Caparoso?
3: Joe Caparoso.
2: Ah, okay. What does he have you doing?
3: Well, apparently some of the Jet fans are a little upset with uh, running back Le'Veon Bell, so Joe wants me to go see if I can sweet-talk him into coming to voluntary practices.
2: I don't really understand why fans think that's a big deal. But I guess for PR purposes, it would be nice to have him there so that the media didn't try and make this into a story. So I assume that's what Joe Caparoso's is thinking. So you're flying out to where Le'Veon Bell is working out personally, and you're going to try and talk him into coming to Florham Park?
3: Scotty, that's, that's what I'm going to try to do here.
2: Well, if anybody could pull it off, it would be you, John. So good luck. I'll go talk to Wesley Walker. You try to persuade Le'Veon Bell, and we'll meet back here. How's that?
3: Scotty, as always, sounds like a plan. Talk to you soon.
2: This is the Overtime Podcast Network. So, Wesley, when we left off, we were talking about 1985 and the players that didn't show up initially because they were holding out for better contracts, including Al Toon, who'd just been drafted out of Wisconsin, and your buddy Marvin Powell. When they eventually returned, did that seem to lift the team's spirits?
4: Nope, I really don't think it's like that because this is a business, I think, and to be honest with you, and I wish it was like that, but I think uh, players are selfish. I think most of the players on our team just cared about what their thing was all about, and that's just, okay, this guy's holding out, hey, this, this is a business part we have to deal with it. It should be that way because it should be like family. If anything... Everybody should be angry or standing up or saying, things. hey, we got to get this guy. Why are he doing this? It was not like that, you know. And, and, and I'll have to be honest with you. A lot of guys didn't have a backbone. They wouldn't stand up. Everybody was for themselves. And I just know that those particular players, hey, I have a lot of respect for. Them. I want them in the camp. But that's just a business aspect. You just wait till it gets done. If it gets done, it does it. And then, and let's say if they didn't come into training camp and it didn't get done, you just have to wait. That's just the business aspect. And the Jets and any team, sometimes they would, you know, if it was at the expense of winning and losing uh, just to keep a guy out, sometimes that would happen. Why they would let that happen, I don't know.
2: You returned in the fifth game. After these guys had returned from holding out, you came back from injury. And the first game back, you were involved in a very weird play that involved somebody running into you in the end zone for a safety. Do you remember that play?
4: No, I do not. (laughs) It's refreshed my memory. I I swear, you are bringing back so many different things. I'm amazed that here I'm a player... And that you can bring these things back that I don't remember. And so that kind of scares me with all the stuff that's going on mentally. And maybe that's because maybe there are certain things I remember that are more important. But I don't remember that.
2: Well, let's see if I can refresh your memory a little bit. It was game number five of the season. And the Bengals' Lewis Breeden makes an interception at the Bengals' six-yard line. He runs into the end zone. And you tackled him for a safety. So you don't remember tackling him for a safety?
4: No, I do not. That's bad, right?
2: No, it's not something that happens every day, right?
4: (laughs) I know, you would think that. I do not remember that at all. When I think about the Bengals, I think about the playoffs that we had against the Bengals. I remember that, you know? But I I start to, I really, and that's another thing, and that's something that I hope maybe one day in my life to touch on, because I know my girl gets pissed at me because I can't remember certain things, but Maybe there are certain things that are just more important, but I don't remember that. And that that's shocking to me because I would think I would remember that if I tackled somebody for a safety.
1: This is the Overtime Podcast Network.
2: Well, maybe you'll remember this. The team was 5-1 and to start, but then they lost the game, and it looked like things might be going in the wrong direction. But you got on the right track against Seattle, and you caught a 15-yard touchdown to win the game, and that one required you going over the middle to get hit. And that was something that a lot of people had criticized you for. They said, oh, Wesley Walker, he doesn't like to get hit over the middle.
4: That, I remember that, too, and that's always been a critical situation, and uh, it, uh, Marty Lyons, he has a thing with me, because I had a thing where I'd, I'd go out of bounds or something, he he to this day, Marty Lyons calls me Sideline Sammy, and <laughs> Sammy is a nickname, Sammy is a nickname, and I've had it since college, uh, Sammy Davis Jr., well, I just had a, he lost his eye, and and because I'm blind in one eye, I've always been called Sammy. So that was a, another thing. But Barney Lyons always gave me that nickname, Sideline Sammy. And I've taken some hits or whatever, gone out of bounds or whatever. And I don't care what anybody says. It's a physical, physical game. But certain things you do remember with that. But, hey, you just do the best that you can. That's all I can tell you. And it's, this is a very violent, very physical it, um, God, I don't even know how to even put it into words. I am very respectful of the game. I just wish I could have stayed more healthier. Uh, you do things that you, you you wouldn't think of doing, but you always know that it could have been a lot better than what it is, and that's the shameful part of this whole thing. I just wish I I could have put up the numbers if I'd been successful and healthy because it's... It, Certainly could have been much better, and you know nothing's perfect. And uh, I don't, I don't care for how great a game I could have had. I've always looked at something: hey, I fumbled the ball, or I didn't make this catch. There's always something I could do better. But I wish I could do it all over again. I don't know if I want that either, because the way my body feels right now, I don't want to do this ever again.
2: Well, I'm sure your body felt a lot better when the Jets got off to an eight and three start after you beat down Tampa Bay 62-28. And in that game, you caught seven passes for 75 yards, and Kenny O'Brien had five touchdowns before exiting early because you guys were beating them down so bad. O'Brien had a terrific season this year, led the AFC in passer rating. Is this where you remember Kenny kind of taking hold as one of the better passers in the NFL? Well,
4: Kenny... O'Brien, I, you can look at the numbers, the stats, or that year or whatever. I don't look at that. The guy could play football, and he was just great in his own way. I can't look at a certain year where you had like you put up the, the stats that were really, really good. I just know the person himself at the time that he put in and his ability. A lot of times, you just don't get the accolades you really deserve. It comes with the winning. Super Bowl. I mean, my staff could be, should be doubled but I'm better than some Hall of Famers. You know, uh, I don't know how you evaluate players, uh, but certainly Kenny O'Brien. He's going to be one of the best in my book. And and, and what's the shame shameful part? Uh, so I I really respect uh, Richard Todd, whom I had when I was a rookie, and. For some reason, I don't know what it is. I just had this special relationship with Kenny O'Brien. I'll take him over anybody. But I remember apologizing to Richard Todd. Like I know I say this stuff about Kenny O'Brien, but Richard Todd was good. Anybody that was a, I, I think of Pat Ryan. A lot of people don't know who Matt Robinson is. I had a, I went to the Pro Bowl my first year with Matt Robinson after Richard Todd got it. I love everybody. But when you think of Kenny O'Brien, I think of just – we just didn't get quite there as far as stats or just getting to the point where you get this recognition because of what they recognize. Durability, okay, Super Bowl and time, but you cannot say that, I don't care who you are, that you, Kenny O'Brien didn't put up the numbers or couldn't play with somebody or a certain point in time, there's no receiver. That, I mean, I love Jerry Rice, but I think I'm just as good or better or a lot of receivers. I'm not going to say that, but put me in a situation like there's Kenny O'Brien. They're going to fare out so good, and it's not even going to be a comparison.
0: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?
1: This is the Overtime Podcast Network.
2: Well, you mentioned statistics, and this was a season where you had one of the most memorable plays of your career: beat the Patriots in overtime, and then the week after, you beat the Bills to go to ten and four. And that was the game where you had a ninety-six yard catch and run for a touchdown. You have memories of that, absolutely. And
4: uh, I, this is a play that we've worked on. You know, you when you when you, when you scout and you do things, there is. a certain plays that you work over and over, and you may not even run it during the year, but there's certain times and certain situations that, hey, it's called for, and here it is. I'm going to forget that. We call it, and we're in a situation. I'm like, oh, my God, and I hope it works, and it worked, and uh, God, I can uh, think of uh, the Miami game or, or being in certain formations or certain plays that you call. And here it is. And not even being in, and then Kenny O'Brien puts you in, or whatever. But you think about those things. This it's, it's a whole delicate situation. And, and fans, uh, people, they don't even know what goes into it, or even how a play kind of comes about, or even the play that happened to be called over that time, How it, or with that player, how it even happened. And there was, there's times where things weren't supposed to happen, but maybe... Kenny O'Brien called you in. You were on the sidelines, and you were out that time. You wouldn't even have been in there at the time. Certain things happened. But here was a play uh, that we're backing in our end zone. It's a receiver's dream. You're hoping to get a play-action play because you're running the ball so well, and it happened. And that couldn't have been done without Kenny O'Brien, and I respect that.
2: So as a football nerd, Wesley, I have to ask you about this. The greatest football team that I ever watched, professionally at least, was the 1985 Chicago Bears. And that season, you guys played them. They went on to win the Super Bowl. They were 15 and 1.
4: I, you know, they were the best. And I'll never forget this, too. It, number one, Miami, they were going back and forth. And, and you're, you're thinking that Miami has this whole undefeated state, and they end up winning. But I remember there was a time uh, where I had a wide open. We had this formation. I'm on a linebacker. I'm wide open, and Kenny missed me, and we could have beat them during that time, but that was the best team that as far as I'm concerned, that year was the best team on earth, and we had a chance to beat them that year, and Miami ended up beating them, but they should have been undefeated that year, and that that was what I remember about that year, but uh, I remember being on a linebacker with the formation. I'm just going right by him and missed me, when that happens
2: that was the best team that I've ever seen and they stomped on the patriots that year in the super bowl but that was a patriot team that you guys would meet in the playoffs cuz you finished 11 and 5 and then you went on to play new england but this was one of those games that just didn't go your way Lots of turnovers. Kenny O'Brien gets beat up by Andre Tippett. He actually ends up getting knocked out of the game.
4: Love Andre Tippett. Love Andre mm. Tippett. The one of the best one I think Andre Tippett, I think of Lawrence Taylor. There's there's a guy that plays into that Reggie Williams and I told Reggie and he, this is a thing that you don't know. Reggie Williams had a banged up knee, so many serves he almost lost his leg and if you see his legs just tangled up and you look at things that players have gone through. It's like, this is not worth it. But Reggie Williams was just as good as anybody. But I, I linked him, Lawrence Taylor, and Andre Tippett together. Andre Tippett, I used to have to come back and crack back on this guy. He had this like, black belt karate expert. I mean, tough. Hated playing against them. But they were the best.
0: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
2: This is the Overtime Podcast Network. It was a disappointing ending, losing to the Patriots, but you were back in the playoffs. You feel like you were building something that you could maybe cash in on the following year, especially considering how well O'Brien had played?
4: Well, the thing with me... And being realistic, you cannot uh, go by what you did that year or, okay, you, you, you've had some success. This is a business. You just don't know from year to year what you're going to get, and that's why you have to play, and that's what I really had to learn. I don't think I learned it until uh, after my career was over. You just don't get these opportunities. You, you've gotta, you have to take advantage of it. And I don't think any player goes in, okay, we had this year, or somebody's doing well, and, hey, we're going to be this way, uh, every year is different. But every year I'm optimistic that we're, hey, we're going to have to go and try. We're heading towards the Super Bowl. But I don't think as youngsters or even even as a m- my last year, I don't think we have this mentality that, hey, we're trying to get to the Super Bowl. You know that's the quest, but you don't think about it. You're just there. And I just don't think you have this mindset of what goes into it, because I know after looking at my career, you know what it takes. It's not going to be this easy, so you have to put forth all your efforts into what you need to do to get to where you need to get. And I'm watching this right now with other teams that get there and how hard it is, and I don't think we ever had that mindset that this is what we really have to do to try to get there. I remember being 10-1. I'm thinking we're going to the Super Bowl and then we get injuries and we take this slide and then we lose it. You just don't know. But I think if we had this mentality, hey, dudes, we don't know when we're going to get there. So we've got to put forth the best effort that we can to get there because you know you're not going to get another opportunity. I'm not so sure we realize what was at stake to get there.
2: Well, you had another opportunity to get there. You just referenced the 10-1 and start, and that was the 1986 season, a season that you began playing against the Buffalo Bills team that would Featured the debuting Jim Kelly who had played in the USFL for the Houston Gamblers. Jojo Townsell, your former teammate, was on the program to discuss the 1986 season at length. And he did something insane. He actually played two full football seasons in one calendar year. He did the USFL. Then he came and played with you guys in 85. But Jim Kelly debuted in 86. Kelly had a big day, even though you guys won. Did you have any specific memories of Kelly's debut, and what did you think of him overall? Because obviously you played him quite a bit during your career.
4: No, I love Jim Kelly, great athlete. And I know I relate him to Kenny O'Brien, but I just remember in just conversations I had with Jim Kelly, he was like so into himself. And uh, I remember uh, Kenny O'Brien saying, God, he's just always talking about himself. And Kenny was not like they're always modest. But, hey, I had a lot of respect for Jim. Great athlete. And and look at his career. And you go to, what, four or five straight Super Bowls and never winning. That's how hard it is. But I had a great deal of respect for him. But I remember my guy, Kenny O'Brien, hey, they came in at the same time. I would put Kenny O'Brien against Anybody, and, and believe me, Jim Kelly was great in his own right. And you look at certain personalities, and I just felt that here is Kitty O'Brien, who was this modest guy. He had this Jim Kelly would like to talk about his accolades and everything like that. Uh, but you look at the overall scheme of things, how things happen, even with his life too. Because I remember he used to say these things where he came out kind of cocky, always talking about his story and but you look at his life how things have transpired with the cancer and you have a different uh just evaluation of just life itself and maybe it's a lesson that people learn or whether he learned or whatever and that's why I always had a lot of uh respect for Kenny O'Brien because he just wasn't like that he wasn't into himself he just did his job and he still has never got the the accolades that he really deserves. And and even if you come off cocky, I love Jim Kelly. I love what he's had to go through and what he can lend to other people. This guy was a great athlete. But the point being is that it's just so hard to win in the NFL. Here's a guy that had put up the numbers, Hall of Famer. And he still, he went to the big show and never won. Dan Marino, I think of that. And he wouldn't give anything. You know, he put up the numbers. He never won that Super Bowl. I never even got there. You know you are just as good as certain people, and you want people to know that. And but people would never, and there are some people that really respect you enough, know that you are in that caliber or range. But you want to be able to say, hey, your name is up there. Oh, you played in the Super Bowl. Oh, you were MVP. Hey, you're over You're in the Hall of Fame. You know you're just as good, but you never got there. And that's the frustrating part. There's so many athletes in this game that deserve more that they never got the respect for. Who names these people? I don't know. Politics, whatever it is. There's a lot of people that play this game that are deserving.
2: One of those guys that many felt was deserving was the aforementioned Dan Marino. And he and Ken O'Brien had an incredible rivalry. They always seemed to bring out the best in each other. And this was certainly on display in week three. And Wesley, you were one of the key figures in this one, and it's one of the most memorable performances of your entire career. So I'm going to go through this, and then I want to go to you and get your thoughts and your memories. Just as a point of reference, these are insane numbers, especially by 1986 standards. Dan Marino Threw for 448 yards and six touchdowns, and Kenny O'Brien threw for 479 yards. It was a back and forth battle, is a 38-38 tie with under four minutes to go. When unfortunately you cut a pass from Kenny O'Brien and fumbled, and let the record show that under the current rules right now, there's no way that that would have even been ruled a catch, let alone a fumble. But we'll get back to that in just a bit. So Marino goes down the field. They get a touchdown with less than three minutes left. The Jets go three and out, but they end up getting the ball back. And with 64 seconds left, O'Brien gets the ball and ends up driving down the field. There's a key play there, a trick play, where Mickey Shuler catches the ball and does a hook and ladder and pitch to Johnny Hector to get you guys down to the 21-yard line and give you a chance. And then, with five seconds left, Wesley... The fumble looked like you might be the talk of the town in a negative way in the newspaper the next day. You catch a pass with five seconds left to send this game to overtime, a touchdown, and then in the overtime, you win the toss, and at a certain point, as you're driving down the field, according to legend, Rich Kotite, who was the offensive coordinator at the time, sees that you're being single-covered and tells Kenny O'Brien, hey, Kenny, they're single-covering Wesley, air it out get it to Wesley, and let's go home. And that's pretty much what he did. He throws a touchdown pass to you to win the game, and you guys win it in incredible fashion, 51-45. Still to this day, one of the most remarkable football games that I've ever watched, and I've told people over and over again when they're first getting into football. If you want to watch a game that will hook you on football, this is the one to watch, and if you watch it and you don't like it, well, then football's just not the sport for you. He needs 13, he's going, to
1: right up, Wesley the Jets have taken the lead again. Ryan going deep for Walker. Wesley Walker scores again. The Hector O'Brien going forward.
2: So let's talk about this, Wesley. You have the O'Brien duel with Dan Marino. We're talking almost 1,000 yards and just passing offense. You yep. had four touchdown receptions. You had the situation where you had that fumble that looked like you might be the quote-unquote goat for the game. But then you come back and redeem yourself with five seconds left. And then, of course, you catch the game-winning bomb in overtime. So unpack all of this for me if you could.
4: Well, in the beginning, a lot of people didn't know... Um I, I had a strain going, a groin injury that I was nursing, so I didn't practice a couple of days. And, and Kurt Stone, my backup, was, you know, filling in for me at the time. And I remember after that game, I, I thanked him because of the fact, uh, I remember, you know, having all the reporters around. And I'm like, here's a guy that's been filling in for me uh, all this time in practice, and then I'm getting all the accolades, and he was my MVP. Uh, another fact that uh, the fact that Kenny O'Brien, and I'll never forget this, I was even on the sideline with the uh, the formation, and, and you mentioned that before the 96 yardage. There's certain plays you practice on that you work on practice, and you hope you get the call. And I remember there was a formation in this particular play, in certain situations that you look for. And I was happen to be on the sidelines at the time, and I remember Kenny O'Brien says, "Wesley, get in there. And that's why I, I had so much re, uh, respect for him. But I was so pissed uh, early in the game I wasn't being utilized. And I had, like I said, I had a strange, uh groin, so I remember saying to Kurt, so my backup, I might as well set out if the coach is not using me. And I was really angry at Joe Walton. And I remember towards the last part of the, uh, I guess, the second quarter, where we ran this play-action pass and we got a touchdown wide open. Nobody's there. We flew with the defense. And then I'm pleading with them. Let's just go for this deep bomb type of thing. And Miami really happened to be in the right defense, but we were able to split the defense, and that was the credit to Kenny O'Brien and putting the ball right in between two defenders, and I was able to break the tackle and go for the second touchdown. And uh, what I try to explain to kids or being motivational, uh, trying to talk about life in general, about giving up, that was a game that I almost didn't want to play because I wasn't being utilized. And I almost gave up, and I I, I really was pissed at Joe Waltz. And we had to plead with him and do a couple things. But then one thing led to another, you know, with the certain plays. I remember uh, having a ball that was ruled a fumble that I didn't think I had possession of it, but they ruled it a fumble, and I thought I'd given up a fumble, and uh, Miami recovered, and I thought I lost the game, and that was a bummer for me, and not knowing, uh, you know, things change, or things can happen. But you mentioned before with Johnny Hecker on a hook and ladder, if you look at that last sequence of plays, to get to the last play that I called the touchdown and, uh, with no time left in overtime, there was a sequence of plays that Mickey Shuler. Oh, I, I can It gives me chills to think about just the effort to get out of bounds, and then they had this hook and ladder play that he did. But Mickey Shuler made a play before that just to get out of bounds, running across field just to stop the clock, just to put us in position. And when I look at uh, plays like that, and that's where it becomes a team itself. Now, I can't think of a team uh, with the score being back and forth, so that means there wasn't really much defense in play. But certainly, as an offense, the things that had happened, you know, certain things couldn't happen without each other. And it could be a block that Johnny Hector made just to save, just to have uh, Kenny O'Brien complete a path. But we went down there methodically, different plays, and if you go down there and you look at the sequence of plays that happen with people, and it wasn't just about Kenny O'Brien, Wes Walker, there's other things that have to take place. And that includes our alignment of making them blocks and try to protect them so we can make the play. So that's what I relate everything to. But it was certainly, certainly something that I will never forget and I remember this play in formation. In the two formations, when we begged Joe Walton to call, Miami was in the right formation, which would be wrong for this particular play. But Kenny O'Brien sat back there and decided he was just going to put it in there. And he put it in there. And, I, and the, 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 the overtime with no time left over the middle. It was just like a dream. To this day, I couldn't believe I even held on to the ball over the middle, and it just stuck there. And to this day, it was like a dream, and I, I say that. But if it wasn't for Kenny O'Brien being on the sidelines and putting me in the game, and because I was out, because we used to uh, bring plays in. So they, they when Al Toon came in, he didn't really know the offense, so they switched me to the flank position where I knew the overall position, so I had to bring in a lot of the plays. So I had to bring in plays of the time, so I would be out sometimes. And Kitty made sure that I got in on this particular uh, formation and play, and we stuck it in there. And uh, that is history, and it's a game that I will never, ever, ever, 1986, will never forget that game. And the fans won't let me forget that either. The overtime uh, catch in the overtime, but that catch over the middle with no time left. I was like, it doesn't get any better than that.
2: It was certainly one of your calling cards, one of your signature moments. And you just mentioned having the game-winning catch and then having the game-tying catch after having that fumble. Now, again, we established it. We didn't think it actually was a fumble, but it was ruled a fumble. After that happened, how good did it feel for you specifically to be the one to get the game-tying touchdown at the end and the game-winning touchdown after having the fumble happen to you earlier on?
4: Well, the thing is, that, that, and, and I tell kids this, or when I, and I, and if I can ever do it like a talk and I can show this particular film, and I tell people that's the, that's, I almost gave up. I mean, it was, I almost gave up during the beginning of the game because I wasn't being utilized, and that just goes to show you cannot give up. But I would never have thought I'd had the game that I had. And I remember in, when you look at the plate on which I fumbled, they called it fumble. me. It didn't look like a fumble. But the bottom line is that the catch fumble is part of the game. But I was felt so bad, so low, and I swear, when I walked this out, I just lost the game for us. And it, you just never know. And that's why you can never give up. You just never know. And I've seen games in other you know, games that I've watched over the years with other teams, how well, teams can come back, and you don't think about that at the time. But when I think about that game, I would have never, ever thought that would ever happen to me, under the circumstances. Because that was a game that I thought I was not even going to even play.
2: There's Part 7 on our 13-year career retrospective, Of Wesley Walker, the legendary number 85 great wide receiver for the New York Jets. A lot of great stories, again, from Wesley, including that 1985 season where things started to turn back around for the team. They dipped a little bit in 83 and 84 after going to the AFC Championship in 1982. 85 is where they started to get back on track, and we heard quite a bit about that this week. We'll continue with Part 8 next week, and when we do, hopefully, Le'Veon Bell will be working out at Florham Park because, John, you were sent on a mission by Joe Caparoso to try and get Le'Veon Bell from where he's working out privately and come to Florham Park to work out with the rest of the team for these voluntary workouts. How'd the mission go?
3: Scotty, I don't think this one uh, went too well.
2: Uh-oh, what happened?
3: Scotty, uh, once I got into town, I worked some leads, eventually went down to the local gym, saw somebody in a Bell jersey working out. I went and tapped him on the shoulder and said, Hey, If it's all the same to you, could you come work out in Florham Park? Turned around. It wasn't Le'Veon Bell. It was his cousin.
2: His cousin? How did you make that mistake?
3: Scotty, he was wearing a brand new New York Jets Le'Veon Bell jersey, and I was hoping it was him.
2: I guess it was just one of those things where your enthusiasm got the better of you. So the moral of the story is you didn't find Le'Veon Bell, and he's not coming to work out at Florham Park, right?
3: Scotty, that is correct.
2: Well, John, I guess you can't win them all, and in your case, you pretty much can't win any of them, can you?
3: Scotty, I think I'm batting uh, 0 for the century on the show.
2: Yeah, your batting average is lower than Tim Tebow in A right about now.
3: Scotty, I would have to go on a 57-game uh, hitting streak to reach his batting average.
2: Won't stop Skip Bayless from talking about him, though, I'm sure. Scotty, Skip
3: loves him some Tebow.
2: I would guess that Fox Sports had to tell Skip he's not allowed to be on the road with Tim Tebow at all of his games cuz otherwise Skip would probably want to do all his shows on location at whatever ballpark Tim Tebow's at.
3: Yeah, those are uh, remote shows are probably pretty expensive. So yeah, it sounds like a good idea that Fox told him Skip you need to cut it out.
2: I can guarantee you one thing, if Skip Bayless did do that, if he went on the road and followed Tim Tebow around, one person that absolutely, positively would not be watching is our producer Alan Schechter, who is now over with the very big deal Chris Nimbley over at JetsInsider.com covering the team, and he is still very sore about Tim Tebow being a member of the New York Jets, so there's no way he'd be watching, but I'm sure that he would be writing articles that are much more positive in nature than his thoughts on Tim Tebow. You can find them, of course, at JetsInsider.com along with the articles by Mr. Christopher Nimbley, who is, of course, a very big deal, John, I know that the two websites that you go to exclusively for your Jets content are TurnOnTheJets.com and JetsInsider.com, although you do have one guilty pleasure that you check in on from time to time, your boy Manish over at the Daily News.
3: Scotty, that is true. That's how we found out about um, the latest Daniel Jones gossip.
2: Listen, say what you want to about Manish but he's got stuff that other people don't have. Not all of it's true, in fact. Quite a bit of it isn't, but he still has it, so sometimes if you're in the mood for a little bit of gossip, that's who you end up going to for your guilty pleasure. But if you want the real good stuff, the best coverage of the team that you can find, you go to TurnOnTheJets.com with us, of course, Joe Caparoso running the ship, and JetsInsider.com with the very big deal, Chris Nimbley and Mr. Alan Schechter. Thanks again to Wesley Walker for joining us this week for part seven of our in-depth look at at his 13-year career with the New York Jets. We will continue with Part 8 next week. And I know Bart Scott's really looking forward to that, aren't you, Bart? Can't wait! Bart, I have to say, once again, you continue to amaze me with how great you are talking about football. He's going to
4: have his conditioning test. He's going to have to work out. Listen, did he ever fail a conditioning test at, at, at Florida?
0: I don't care how fast he runs. Terrell Suggs ran up like a 4.92. We, we're sitting here applauding, talking about how great um, Bosa is. He ran a four eight. So I don't care about that. I want to care what can you
1: bend that corner, how quickly you can get from around the tackle to this quarterback or set the edge.
4: I can care less about all that other stuff.
2: I really think that your best role would be to go to SNY or one of these cable channels as a full-time football analyst, or if they can't pay you, maybe NFL Network or ESPN or something like that, because your football analysis is as good as it gets. Your analysis on everything else, eh, not really. That's going to do it for us this week. My name is Scott Mason. My tag team partner is Big John Sparopoulos, and John, I believe you know, there's only one way that we can end this show.
3: That's right, Scott. Your a pleasure, as always, and at some point, Jet fans. Le'Veon Bell will be at practice, but no thanks to me. Break, break it down. One, two, three, and the
0: whole of the Yahoo! Woo! Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
1: A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh?
0: Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino.